What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, I, I think I have an addiction and I need your help. Um, what is it? How do I say this? How, yeah, how, okay. I cannot stop making fun of Texas on Twitter. <laughs> that's not an addiction, Connor. That's therapy. That's, that's healthy, okay? I don't think it's healthy. I, I want to stop. I, I really do. It, it's one thing to make fun of that dumpster Bevo. It's another to call out a program with one national title since the Richard Nixon administration. Oh, man. I love that. <laughs> you know I love a good presidential reference. See, whenever I've roasted Texas fans, I've gotten caught in the weeds, and I say, oh, you have one title since color television. And Texas fans will sit there and say, well, color television was actually invented in 1970, so if you're... It's, all right, man. <laughs> was, that, was that like a George W. Bush? Yeah, he's a Texas alum, right? Okay, okay. I caught a little bit of McConaughey in there as well, mm -hmm. I think. Um, I, look, I need to stop because I want to spread love in this world. And instead, whenever I tweet about this, I'm just inviting A&M and Oklahoma fans into my mentions to, to clown on Texas. And that, that's not healthy, okay? It is too easy right now at this stage of the game to, to make fun of Texas. Tweeting out my favorite stat, which I, got a lot of play uh, after, after I tweeted this out on uh, late on Thursday night, that Texas has not had an offensive player drafted in the first round since Vince Young, 2006. Boy, I never get tired of it. That's the thing. It's addictive. You're right. I think that's the sixth time I've said that on this podcast. I need to stop saying it on this podcast because it's, it's too easy. And the thing is, too, like, it's, it's kind of like when I make fun of Utah Jazz fans. It's like they're not really a protected class. Everyone can kind of jump in on them. And, like, you know, they're fine people, Texas fans, but sometimes they deserve to just be taken down a peg or two, you know? I know they do, but then then they go off and they have a draft where they just they get skunked. They <laughs> skunked have, in the draft. It's tough. That's hard to do, man. That's really hard to do. When you and I tweeted out the list of all the schools I'd had a draft pick uh, that weren't Texas, and don't you know it? I just did the same exact thing, and I'm doing it over and over. And I I, I need to stop. I need to wean myself off. I need to not invite that, that kind of evil into my life. And I know that whenever I do it, A&M fans are retweeting it every time. Oh, yes. They're going to. They're fully aware of it. And I need to not fall for that pattern. It's, it's too easy. It's cheap. It's like doing the PFF thing on Twitter where they just tweet out pictures of like five guys who will be in an offense that rank number 28 out of 32 in the NFL. And they're like, who's stopping this, fam? Yes. Um, like. I, I can't do that. I, I know the engagement's gonna be off the charts with that tweet, but I can't put myself in those spots anymore. I will not do it. So I'll continue to make fun of Bevo, but I will not make fun of Texas for anything else. Is that fair? Yes. Well, I think too, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of constructive criticism, like how Lakers fans kind of like bullied their role players in 2020. It's like, we're just hoping for better for Texas. We grew up with great Texas teams. You know what I'm saying? Cedric Benson, uh, Vince Young, like all these Ricky offensive Williams. skill players. Right, Ricky Williams. And like, they're just not there anymore. So at the end of the day, like we would love nothing more than Texas to be back and make it to a big game and choke. But then we got to get there, man. Mm, do we? I'm saying we got to wait for them to get to the big game and choke. They can't even get to the big game right now. Fair enough. Fair enough. A lot to get to today. Uh, we're going to talk with our guy, Matt Hayes, about this, this Jordan <clears throat> Addison deal and what it means for the short and long-term future of college football. There's a ton of different layers to it with NIL, with tampering, and what it means just for the overall likability of the sport. So we talked a lot about that. And we're also going to talk uh, about the beach and figuring out because... Your boy had a nice little post-draft beach day on Sunday. Good for you, man. Nice little, nice little calm day. So we'll dig into that, the proper way to do the beach as an adult. But first, got a lot of big picture NFL draft takeaways. We got to start with the Nicobe Dean free fall. 
that's as mad as I've been watching a draft. <laughs> I mean, really. And, and that's saying a lot because I'm a Bears fan. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say it, Connor. I'm just letting you know. I'm being nice. It's almost your birthday. I'm being nice. That's you. Yeah, look, I, I was mad watching this. I, I really was. And I know what was being reported. The shoulder stuff plus the short arms equals this free fall. I don't care. Give me N'Kobe Dean with one arm. Or, or just give me N'Kobe Dean who played as well as he did last year when he apparently wasn't 100%. Now, hold on. You the, say one arm. Why don't you go ahead and tell me how many games this injured shell of himself played last year? Uh, he played in all of them, Will. Oh, he played in all of them. Okay. Um, he never missed a game at Georgia despite these lingering concerns about his medicals and all these different things. Like, you would think a guy with those issues would have plays off or, or that he would kind of be lost in the shuffle. No, no, no. Nicole Dean was the highest graded linebacker in the country, according to PFF. All right? This is a guy who won the Butt Kiss Award as the best linebacker in college football. Yeah, some of those things are, are often narratives and whatnot, but Nicole Dean is a full time starter for the first time he was incredible he was unbelievable and all these georgia fans who were saying coming into last year like oh okay just wait until the kobe dean just wait and i'm, I'm thinking to myself like I, I really liked monty rice and i thought he was a great player like let's chill in the kobe dean hype no he was worth it he exceeded whatever sort of hype we're talking about here he was that dude i don't need to explain the kobe dean's credentials but when you've got a montana state linebacker going before him man Listen, man, and like, got, I love Derek Stingley, but that dude barely played the last two years and went third overall. The fact that we're doing the injury thing with only the Kobe Dean this year just feels a little bit weird. I don't know. Overall message to uh, college football, I, I don't know how much games matter that much. Mm -hmm. I, I really don't. There were a lot of cases like that uh, where it just kind of feel like, oh, yeah, but we're just going to overlook everything we saw from players this last year. Just kind of a, a strange move. I, I was frustrated to see him fall. I was, however, relieved to see that he ended up with the Eagles, where he'll play behind Jordan Davis once again. And for all the skeptics saying, oh, we wonder how he's going to look when he doesn't have Jordan Davis taking on double teams. Well, Jordan Davis is just going to go to the NFL and take on double teams. So I guess we're going to get the same to Kobe Dean. Mm -hmm. All right. Todd McShay uh, on the broadcast was clearly frustrated. Part of that was because he had Dean uh, on his board at number 19 overall. And coming into Friday, he was number one on his best available board. And we had to wait three hours to hear Nicole Dean's name come off the board. It's just insane. McShay had this great moment where he looked into the camera and said, let's come back and have a conversation in three years. And that's exactly how I feel with Nicole Dean. Like it, it was just driving me nuts. I, I think that uh, hearing all this stuff about the injuries and then hearing the Eagles, Howie Roseman come out and say, yeah, we, ex we fully expect him to be at minicamp. He's gonna, he's gonna be at rookie minicamp. He's, it's gonna be fine. And Dean comes out and says that there were things that were untrue that were said about him that cost him a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna get that pissed off version of Jacoby Dean. And he, you know what? I, I'm here for that. I am absolutely here for that. I will be rooting for Jacoby Dean in the NFL. And I hope he proves so many people wrong because that was just ridiculous to watch that happen. On, on um, our last pod, we talked about, you know, Jordan Davis. Now I think he's a dream fit in Philly because everybody doubted him. And like, you know what I'm saying? Just because of his weight or whatever. This is that times 10. Because Kobe yeah. Dean is exactly a Philly player. He's a guy who will rip your head off. He's a great teammate. He's a great leader. And Philadelphians, you know, the whole the Mummer's speech uh, with Kelsey talking about, you didn't believe in us. You thought I was weak. You thought I was whatever. That's the Kobe Dean coming into the NFL. <laughs> That's the scary thing. The MJ meme, and I took that personally. Yes. Um, yeah, Nicobe Dean gets to be that guy for the rest of ever, I guess, mm -hmm. um, with the way this played out. So, yeah, fully expect Nicobe Dean to be a star in the NFL. 
bigger picture thing with Georgia, uh, in case you missed it, it's a pretty Georgia-heavy NFL draft. 15 players selected, a modern-era draft record. They set the seven-round record with their 15th pick um, with 49 picks left. 49 picks were left, and Georgia already hit that mark. That is unreal. I already praised the night one flex that Kirby had, so I don't want to go too in-depth there with the round one guys. I, I don't want to hear any more narrative about Kirby not being able to develop NFL talent. It wasn't that long ago that that was a real criticism of him that people were saying, ah, you know what, he's just not getting to that, that level that Alabama's at, or even the level that we saw peak LSU be at. No, 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 no. This class changes that conversation for me. And even though part of me wants to be like, well, Kirby needs to develop quarterback talent because he still hasn't had a quarterback drafted in the first two days, I still think at the same time, um, nobody signed more five-star recruits since 2016 than Kirby Smart. So whatever he's selling is working with selling quarterbacks, um, even though Georgia, as we always say, has not had a top 40 passing offense since Aaron Murray left Athens. Um, I guess that's still something that you could knock Kirby for, but this class, I mean, it, it's ridiculous. I know we're kind of numb to some of this stuff with the way that we've seen some of these classes build, but I mean, few programs, if any, have ever done anything quite like this. 15 total guys with nine of them coming in the first three rounds. 2019 LSU is, is comparable, 14 players in the 2020 NFL draft, 10 of those guys coming off the board in the first three rounds. I, I, was, I was really searching for another comp and I could not find it. I, I really couldn't. I mean, both those two, those two programs had number one overall picks and five first rounders, so pretty similar there. But man, you kind of look back at some of the great classes in years past and it's, it's a struggle to come up with a comp. Like 2020 Bama, the following draft in 2021 NFL draft, they had the six first rounders and eight in the first three rounds, but only 10 picks total. Uh, 2017 Bama, and we're just talking about teams that have won a national championship and then have had ridiculous classes afterwards. Like 2017 Bama, they, they win it all. And then you have 12 players taken to the 2018 draft, nine guys in the first three rounds. There's only two instances in which um, Bama had double digit selections after winning a national title under Saban. That's it. Hmm. Um, two other instances in which they 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 want they uh, they had double digit selections, but they didn't win a title. So I, I think if we're if we're gonna have this conversation, you need to have been considered like an all time great team. We were we were talking about that with Clemson in 2018, right? With the way that they beat Alabama in the national championship game, nobody had beat a Nick Saban coach team like that. And then the 2019 NFL Draft, they had all those defensive linemen coming off the board in round one with Lawrence, Farrell, Wilkins, but only six selections total. That's mm -hmm. that's it. 2006 Florida, win a national championship, great team with Urban Meyer. 2007 draft, nine total selections, only three in the first three rounds. Jarvis Moss, Reggie Nelson, Ray McDonald. You can go back to 2001 Miami. I mean, that's like, everybody's like, oh my God, greatest collection of talent ever. 11 players drafted in 2002, eight the following year, but combined in those two drafts, 11 were off the board in the first three rounds. Jeez. And again, 
like that's considered the best collection of talent ever. And I get that part of that is because of what those guys did in the NFL. Right. And maybe that's going to hold people off, hold people back from saying that Georgia is kind of on that, you know, in that stratosphere. But that's kind of the standard. Even like 95 Nebraska, I went back and looked up the 96 draft where they only had six selections, two of which were in the first three rounds. The following draft, they had eight selections, four guys in the first three rounds. I think part of that too with Nebraska in the mid '90s is being a, a not pro style offense. It's like at the all. flex it's like, What yeah. am I supposed to do with this in Tampa? Like, okay, man. Yeah. So that makes sense. Um, when we say though that Kirby is assembling talent at just an absurd rate, this is what we mean. Uh, like I said, you can't even close the books on the 2020, uh, the 2021 Georgia defense because Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, Keely Ringo. They could all be first rounders, which would mean that 10 of 11 starters on that defense would be picked in the first three rounds. That is insane. Unbelievable production that this group had last year and the NFL draft stuff is just going to be brag worthy uh, as long as Kirby Smart is in Athens. I mean, it really will be that kind of class the way that we look back on it. Um, okay. Any, did you have any other thoughts on Georgia before we kind of move on to some of the other things? <laughs> two, two really quick. First, the serious one. Uh, I think that we need to keep a running tracker of like offenses and defenses. So what made me think of this is like the 2019 LSU offense now is at every member other than Thad Moss drafted. Um, which is insane. And like, and he was expected to be drafted as well mm -hmm. coming into that one. And yeah. yeah, he's somewhere. I think he's on the big ones actually. But point being, you know, I think that's how we need to keep it. Because going back to the Miami thing, it's like, yeah, like a lot of the guys that were contributors were underclassmen. Same thing with LSU. Same yep. thing can be also true with Georgia. And you start to get into that gray area of like, yeah, this guy played, but he didn't really play. But I think that like for a team like Georgia, we're going to be able to go back and add the next two or three draft classes and look at these young guys they've had. Um, and then my second point was, you know, Georgia at this point under Kirby, all you're really missing is a quarterback. Uh, in the draft and I would just say as an LSU fan who has watched Ohio State fans try to claim Joe Burrow for the last three years go ahead and do it with Justin Fields you have just as much right <laughs> to claim Justin Fields as they do Joe Burrow and they won't stop so you know what just go ahead I'm going to give you that one that is your starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears as long as these people with the Buckeyes and their Twitter display names say well he was born in Ohio so technically he's an Ohio State <laughs> well hey guess what Justin Fields was born in Georgia and that's your quarterback buddy he's a Georgia Bulldog congratulations yeah, uh, it gets a little messy if you if you want to. <laughs> that's a great reference. Um, it, it gets a little bit messy if you look at um, 2014 Ohio State won a national championship and they had so much underclassmen talent. They had the 14 selections, but that was in the 2016 draft. Right. So it wasn't immediately. They had you know Bosa, Mike Thomas, and all those guys that were that were part of it. And Zeke that were that were in the 2016 class. Eli Apple, of course, your favorite cornerback. Elite corner night and day. Just, Truly elite corner. Um, but yeah, so it gets a little bit messy with some of those teams, but I just think to be able to capitalize on that, like bang, bang, like win a title, elite class, yep. so few have done it at the rate that Georgia just did it at. The receivers thing. There was a record 17 receivers taken in the first three rounds. You had six in the first round really feel bad for the Packers and Aaron Rodgers that the guy that they wanted in the first round, Traylon Burks, I, I feel bad that he wasn't there for them at number 28. You hate to, <laughs> you see, hate that. to see it. Don't you? Just, they ended up with some dude from like North Dakota State or something. I remember he got drafted. I was like, Connor's looking up this highlight right now. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. It's all good. I, the only thing I was I was rooting against, I just did not want to see the Packers get Traylon Burks. All right. Like I can't continue to, to bang the drum for Traylon Burks if he goes to Green Bay. Yep. Was not having any of that. But, but think about that the the bigger picture thing and they talked about this throughout the draft they were all over this <laughs> six receivers in the first 18 picks of the nfl draft like 
Welcome to modern football. It's being valued in an insane way by front offices. More teams are prioritizing having at least three viable pass catchers running routes at all times because it's all about space. That's the way that the game is set up now. Getting stud receivers on rookie deals is huge. Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase have changed what we think rookie receivers are capable of. And while that shouldn't be the expectation, it is at least an example of what these guys can do if they're put in those right spots. If you're not developing NFL talent, at the receiver position and your power five program, uh, you need to be, you're behind. <laughs> and that's that's an issue, it really is. Of those 18 uh, receivers in the first three rounds, Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Kentucky, and Tennessee were all represented. That's, that's pretty strong representation there. Uh, all of those teams, by the way, have modernized their offenses in a pretty significant way in terms of spacing and, and tempo. And it kind of shows with the NFL draft numbers, by the way, um, speaking of Kentucky having a receiver taken in the first three rounds, friend of the program, Wandale Robinson. Oh, yes. The, Gi the Giants now having Wandale and Saquon, chef's kiss. The Giants having Wandale and Tony. The Giants having Wandale. Uh, you don't, you don't, don't think Tony's good after a year? Come on. No, I don't, I don't, know, if the, I don't know if they're keeping him. I know. That's I'm just saying, issue. like, that's, that's actually very funny. And they, and they drafted Flot God. So, yes, they did. Yeah. This, we, are, we are a big uh, Cordell Flot podcast. That's, that's what we are. Um, yes. So, uh, all right. Let's, let, let's at least get into the, like the my, my, I don't know, I want to say it's my least favorite subject here, but it's the SEC guys I couldn't believe who are still on the board when they were, besides Nicobe Dean. We already mm -hmm. talked about that. And I'm going to forget some guys here, so forgive me on that. Matt Corral, okay? Um, I couldn't believe that he was barely picked in the top 100. And I actually hate that he went to Carolina. I really do. Because I, and I get that Sam Darnold isn't it, but that coaching staff looks like it's gonna get gutted. Yep. And I could see a world in which Corral is, is on the bench year one. They bring in a new staff who has their own vision of what the next quarterback is gonna be. And then Corral just kind of turns into the odd man out and he's looking for a new team in year four, even though he never really got that opportunity. So I. I I tend to think, you know, if, if you're good enough, you're going to find a way to make it work. But I, I do worry about that situation because the vibes of Matt Rule are not good in Carolina. <laughs> very, Horrible very vibes. Poor. Yes. And imagine yeah. like you're Matt Corral, you go shake, you know, Rule's hand is like, here's my plan for you, son. It's like, I don't care, dude. <laughs> Literally, yeah. I'm going to be here in two years and you won't. So whatever. I guess. Yeah. And, and I saw the, the Ian Rappaport. Um, all, all the, you know, what, what he was talking about with the, the off the field concerns with Corral dealing with alcohol and depression issues. I'm like, this crap all came out a year ago. All right. Dennis Dodd had the story in CBS Sports about how Corral admitted like he had the issue. He had the issues with depression. He fought through mental health issues. He like quit drinking. He had this fight that he got into with Wayne Gretzky's son, like th this stuff that was all out there over a year ago. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, like there are some teams really concerned about that. He really didn't do well in the interview process I'm like all right that's i don't really think that's necessarily the case i think this is more of hey if you don't think he's a first round quarterback these guys fall that's the way that it works even malik willis dealt with that malik willis didn't have character issues whatsoever mm -hmm. but if you're not considered a first round guy you're going to fall that's just kind of the way that it is um I, I i personally love that matt corral addresses his weaknesses as a human being and as a player and how he's been able to work through them we talked about the drop eight coverage stuff mm -hmm. a billion different times on this podcast I thought he was the best quarterback in the draft. Instead, he ends up being quarterback four behind Pickett, Ritter, and Malik Willis, our guy. I might need to go to Nashville in two years so that I can just watch Malik Willis throw passes to Traylon Burks. 
might have to do that. There, see, there's yeah. the trip we were talking about. Yeah, yep. I mean, that's one of those like, fellas, is it an NFL draft red flag to work on yourself? Like, that's why I was laughing. It's like, oh, wow, so he's you know, 21 and he hasn't figured everything out yet? Now get, kick this guy to the curb. It's like, dude, most people aren't socially aware enough to understand that they have a drinking problem at Ole Miss, number one. And number two, like, the ability to go, ah, you know, I could probably be a better person. I'll probably kind of kind of need to be better socially, got to figure it out. So, like, good for him, dude. That's awesome. And also, shame on you for not telling me he beat up Wayne Gretzky's son before right now. Yeah, <laughs> Matt Corral was like, he, t- he told Dennis Dodd, he's like, yeah, that, that family tried to make my life hell. Like, I, yeah. yeah. Um, another guy, couldn't believe was still on the board when he was. Darian Kennard, talked about him with Jeff Schwartz. Fifth round? Mm-hmm. Fifth round for Darian Kennard? Like, the guy was PFF's highest graded offensive lineman in the SEC the last two years. I did not understand that for the life of me. Just because he's not a left tackle doesn't mean he doesn't have value. If the Patriots are able to take Cole Strange <laughs> as a guard in the first round, you don't tell you mean to tell me that Darian Kennard doesn't have value? I, I do not understand that for the life of me. I think Pat Mahomes is gonna love that guy. We're gonna look up three, four years from now, Darian Kennard's gonna be at SEC, or not SEC, he's gonna be at Super Bowl Media Day as a starting offensive lineman, and everybody's gonna be like, oh, this Darian Kennard guy, like, just another guy that the Chiefs got in the middle of the NFL draft, and here he is as a starter in the Super Bowl, and we're looking up like, oh yeah, it's a good thing the Chiefs have been able to kind of figure out their offensive line because they've been able to do it by drafting smart and drafting guys like Darian Kennard. Mm-hmm. He's gonna spend a ton of time in the league, maybe doesn't have all pro upside, and that's why you know he wasn't considered like a, a second round pick or whatever, but. But yeah, plug that guy into Kansas City and watch him be uh, a key piece of several Super Bowl teams. Just weird. Um, speaking of offensive line, Jamari Sawyer uh, did not get that. Six rounder from Georgia, like the guy who was primarily responsible for the bad Aiden Hutchinson tape. I, yep. I, I, I've realized I'm just so out of touch when it comes to evaluating offensive linemen because I would have assumed without blinking that, that he was a day two guy. I absolutely would have. Left tackle for the national champs. Um, he allowed one sack since 2020. Pretty good, pretty good list of guys that he faced. Hutchinson, uh, David Ajabo, a, a young fellow by the name of Will Anderson, you might have heard of him. <laughs> Miles Murphy, Josh Pascal, like others that I'm definitely forgetting, but I just thought that that was such a strange thing. And I, again, like, I guess if you're not considered a future all pro and you have a couple of technical issues, you just you could just free fall. I did not understand that. I didn't hear necessarily about character issues or anything like that. So another weird uh, free fall, at least it, it appeared to be. Um, another six rounder, Tyler Beatty. Think about this. We appreciated Beatty for developing into a workhorse back this year. And, and I get that running backs always go later than what you expect. And that's just the way that it always ends up working out. But at the same time, 513 carries in his college career isn't some insane workload. Like Jonathan Taylor had 926 carries at Wisconsin. <laughs> It's ridiculous. And he's just amazing. That's that's one of those red flags where it's like, at the time, I probably bought into that, and I'm looking at it like, I'm stupid, bro. Yeah, so I don't know. And look, I'm I'm not saying Tyler Brady is Jonathan Taylor. Don't don't get it twisted. But just for a little perspective here, if you're like, oh, you know, he he got so many carries, got so much work this past year, you're like, well, did he? Because he was in a pretty low volume role coming into this past season. I, I just didn't think that he would be 
RB 18 in this draft. He ran a 4-4-5-40. Um, <laughs> And he kind of showed you what you would want to see as a workhorse back and as a guy who we know could catch passes out of the backfield, caught 50 passes out of the backfield this year. So I get the size, 54 I think it was. I get the size concerns, but I think he checks a ton of boxes and given what we just saw him do against SEC competition, I was just surprised that he was so deep into, into day three. Um, Makai Polk, the Mississippi State receiver. A few weeks ago, Will, I did a deep dive into the recruiting and NFL numbers of receivers in Mike Leach's system. Mm -hmm. Some of these numbers are bad, real bad. Mm -hmm. Leach just finished year 20 as an FBS head coach, and that's in an offense that throws it 50 times a game, as we know. Before this year, he had, and I guess including this year, he had six receivers drafted. That's it. Alabama had that many from 2017 to 2021. The big difference being that Bama had five first rounders. Leach had one, a young fellow by the name of Michael Crabtree. Michael Crabtree is the only receiver to be selected in the first three rounds of the NFL draft who played in Leach's offense. Yep. Three of those six guys didn't catch a pass in the NFL. Crabtree, who, by the way, never even made it to a Pro Bowl, had a, like a nice career, but never made it to a Pro Bowl. He accounted for 92% of that group's total catches, 90% of that group's total receiving yards, and 93% of that group's total receiving touchdowns. Again, like a fine NFL career, but I mean, think about this. Wes Welker is the best leech receiver ever, and he was undrafted. That's kind of the point though, like leech, Leach had this guy at Washington State, this guy Gabe Marks. Mm -hmm. He's a four-star recruit out of LA. Uh, by the way, Leach signed eight four-star wide receivers total uh, in his time as an FBS head coach. This guy Gabe Marks, he, picked, he picks Washington State just six weeks after Leach is hired. And all he does is go on to set the Washington State records for all three major receiving categories. Oh, yeah. He breaks the Pac-12 record for catches, and then he goes undrafted. Never even got a sniff in the NFL. The NFL has been saying for decades that they don't value the development in Mike Leach's version of the air raid offense. Leach's only pushback to that narrative is an undrafted dude who retired seven years ago. All right. So Makai Polk, as it relates to that, he transfers from Cal to play for Leach this past year at Mississippi State. He balls out. He has a thousand yard receiving season. He's an actual deep threat, which is pretty rare in that offense. He was getting some like mid round buzz. And in a draft that had all of those receivers come off the board, what happens? He goes undrafted. 28 receivers were drafted and he wasn't one of them. You read his NFL.com profile and an AFC scout said he got a ton of targets in that offense, but it's like the same three routes over and over. So he's still got a lot of learning to do. Mm -hmm. That is a problem for Mike Leach now that he's in the SEC. Because you can get away with two-star recruits when you're in the Big 12 or in the Pac-12. You cannot and will not in this league. It is different if we're talking about places like Iowa, Kentucky, or Wisconsin with saying that, oh, they do so much with two and three-star talent because they're developing them into NFL players. Right. Leach isn't developing these guys into NFL players. And now when the money is so insane, especially for receivers, because as we talked about at the top, that money is so there. Mm -hmm. And isn't he, you look at the A.J. Brown contract for four years, $100 million, what Debo's trying to get, like, the, the money is insane. And so that is going to continue to be used against Mike Leach. I do think that the Charles Cross storyline is pretty key. Um, would really help uh, Leach's recruiting if he is not a bust. We talked about those concerns, but in this league, it is, it is considered to be tied with long-term success. Will, I went back and I looked at some of the, the way too early mocks. Oh, my favorite, let's go. <laughs>
I call this mocking the mocks, trademark pending. It is so silly that we do this, but <laughs> like if you told anybody from who doesn't follow college football, somebody who doesn't li live in America or like consume the sport or anything like that, if you told them that we do mock drafts for the following year, the second that the current draft ends, they'd be like, wait, how? What, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? For, for college kids? Like the 18 to 22 year old kids? All right, good luck. Mm -hmm. It's great content though. And I click on all of them. I really do. <laughs> I've already scoured them. That's why, yes. Yes. So in honor of uh, that great content, I, I, I've got two, two that I went back and, and I found. Um, the one that Todd McShay did for ESPN.com last year. And by the way, this is McShay always says this is the least favorite thing that he does yeah. at ESPN. He hates this. Okay, so his top 10 from last year, projecting for 2022. So a year out, he made this projection. At one, he had Kayvon Thibodeau. Two, he had Kedon Slovis. Okay. He's now at Pitt. Yep. Uh, three, Derek Stingley. Nailed so, it. Nailed that. Yep. Crushed it. Four, Charles Cross. Mm -hmm. Pretty good, even though I criticized that. Uh, five, Zion Nelson, the offensive tackle from Miami, who actually returned this, this year. Okay. Didn't even enter the draft at all. Uh, Kyle Hamilton at six. Sam Howell at seven. Uh, not so great. There was, but there was lots of Sam Howell love coming into this year. That made a lot of sense. He That year was inexplicable by UNC. I don't even think that was his fault. Yeah, I, I got a couple of thoughts on that 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 I want to go run through with you in a minute here. Mm -hmm. uh, Aiden Hutchinson, he had it eight, very good. Was way higher on Aiden Hutchinson than a lot of other places that I saw. Mm -hmm. And then Evan Neal at nine, and Kyrie Elam at ten. Kyrie Elam ends up going in the first round. Not bad at all. Seven of those ten guys went in round one. Like that's pretty good. That's yeah. really good. I, I'm gonna give McShay an A minus for that. That's not bad, not bad. Um, it's a good thing that I didn't do the rest of the first round because he had Spencer Rattler at number 11 mm -hmm. and he had Jalen Weidermeyer at number 21. Um, I, I didn't mention Weidermeyer, my guys who fell group because we, we know why he fell, okay? Like, it, Will, you sent me those, those testing numbers. <laughs> And they're like, this This has to be like a mistake right. or, or something. Because he didn't make none of that. Like, I was like, but this guy, I was like, if you give me a couple burgers, I can be 6'2", 250. And that's all he has working for on here. <laughs> like, he, all of his other numbers were just negative. It's the worst RES I've ever seen. It's bad. Really bad. And I know he had the drops, but there, and there was some tough film on him. But, man, like, that's... That's something I did not see coming at all. I banged the drum for Jalen Watermeyer. I had mm -hmm. no problem with him being in the first round of these way too early mocks. I was arguing that he should be considered the best tight end returning in all of college football and for him to go undrafted. Man, just a brutal, brutal pre-draft period for him. And what he ultimately um, what he what he ultimately found out was like this this year just could not have gone more wrong. Yep. And it's too bad. But I digress. Okay, CBS Sports, way too early mock top 10 that they had at this time last year. They also had Kayvon Thibodeau at number one overall. Mm -hmm. Number two, Sam Howell. Yeah. Uh, number three, Derek Stingley. Hey. Wow. Everybody just crushed that pick. Even that though is, Derek Stingley didn't play much football and he still went number three overall. That is the king so. of the games don't matter take because literally two different mock yeah. drafts getting that right and if having that year is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Hamilton at four, Evan Neal at five, Darian Kendrick at six. Interesting move there. 
Um, and that was before he had even transferred to Georgia as well. He mm -hmm. was still um, he was still at Clemson. I think he had just entered the portal at the time. I want to say that he had just entered the portal. Um, so they're like, yeah, I, I don't even know where he's going to play, but I just think he'll be a top 10 pick. Which is, I, don't, I don't know if that's the best strategy uh, for for a way too early mock, but whatever. Um, and then Zion Nelson, the Miami offensive tackle at number seven. Spencer Rattler at eight. Keenan Slovis at nine. Malik Willis at 10. Uh, if there was ever a draft to not mock four quarterbacks in the top 10, this was it. <laughs> there, there barely was four quarterbacks in the top 100 picks. Yep. Like that's, that's what it turned out to be. Uh, this CBS Sports mock also had Isaiah Spiller at 14, which was a little odd. Um, very, okay. very high. <laughs> sure. That. Yeah, I, I, Isaiah Spiller was was a fine player, but we kind of we kind of outlined with the preseason All SEC conversation of why some of his numbers were a little bit tough with the yards after contact, the yards before first contact, and why uh, I was like, I'm not totally sure that he's going to be the best back in that backfield. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, 14 is really high. And the CBS Sports one also had Kate Mays at number 16, Seven Banks at number 17. So Seven Banks, there you go. Wow, All look right. at that. Future LSU legend already filling up the draft boards. Yeah. Uh, the Sam Hall thing. Our guy Brad Crawford, uh, he pointed out that Sam Hall was plus 220 to go number one overall at this time last year. Mm -hmm. And he went in the fifth round. Um, I thought I thought Corral and, and Sam Hall just got really raw deals. I mean, just brutal situations in my opinion. They fall that far and then they go to franchises that are an absolute mess right now. Yep. I mean, I would like it. I, I understand you're trying to just get, get a path to playing time, but man, like I would not feel good about the coaching staff around me if I was in one of those spots and I wouldn't necessarily feel very good about about being that. I was hoping for like one of those year one trades or, or something like that. But um, just a reminder of, how much of a crapshoot these way too early mocks are. Uh, even though we're gonna read all of them, we're gonna consume them and dissect them and break them down. I'm already writing about, I wrote about it for SaturdayDownSouth.com. That's, that's coming out on Tuesday. Three guys that I think are getting way too much love and then three guys that I think aren't getting enough love. Be interesting to see which side Will Levis falls on. Hmm, hmm. little teaser there, little teaser for the people. Um, but speaking of that, we're officially into the Bryce Young NFL conversation. Hold on, let me pause you real quick. One thing I want to say about this is that I think this is finally the year, bless everyone's hearts, that they realize that if you draft a quarterback too high and he's average, you've wasted a pick. But if you draft a wide receiver too high and he's average, you have a good number three receiver. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. I, I, st I still push back on that. I still say the value of getting a quarterback in, in on that rookie deal mm -hmm. is just, it's incredible if you can do it. And I'm not, I'm not saying that it's an easy thing to do at all, but for some of these front offices that feel like, oh, well, we're just gonna hold out and wait till, till the next quarterback class. Like, there have been a lot of times in which we thought a quarterback class was gonna be really, really good the following year, and then guys just don't necessarily work out. You know? Oh yeah, I mean, versus last year though, we had old boy go to the Jets at two, and then Trey Lance at three, and neither of those guys are both. Did you just call Zach Wilson, old boy. Ah, uh, yeah, Zach. So he's like the most <laughs> generic white guy ever. Man, he's gonna find his way into the Utah Jazz lander. Just, just mm -hmm. you wait. But uh, yeah, Zach Wilson. I mean, he played for a year and he was solid. Like I liked him more than a lot of people. I've defended him more than a lot of people. But it's like that is like definitionally two guys that were like one year wonders that got shot up draft boards, and that just didn't happen this year. And I think good quarterbacks were like feeling feeling the brunt of an over like agreed in previous years. You know what I'm saying? Cause you're right. I totally agree on Corral. Totally agree on Malik Willis. Those guys fell for almost no reason, but it seems like this year teams are just like, whatever, give me a wide receiver. Like we'll figure out quarterback because of that reason. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, that's definitely definitely a big part of it. And I'm curious what what ultimately front offices are going to say about this next quarterback class and how that's going to evolve with Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be as scrutinized as much as any quarterback in recent memory. I, I mean, he might be as scrutinized as any quarterback since Tim Tebow. I mean, really. Think about that. <laughs> he didn't scrutinize him too hard because they took him at, what, 15 with that throw in motion? <laughs> yeah, I, but still, at the same time, like, you remember Tebow's senior year oh, yeah. and kind of all, all the heat that he took, just you know, p- part of it being, like, you know, who he is as a human being yeah. and the things that he stands for. And he's just, he was a lightning rod for conversation for, like, to the point of, of nauseam where even Florida fans I know were, were sick of the, the conversation, not necessarily related to, like, Tebow himself, like he was causing this, but at the same time, like I think Bryce Young is about to be dissected in a way that um, is frustrating at times, mm-hmm. but I also get some of it. I, and here's, so the height thing doesn't necessarily worry me as much. He's he's listed at six feet right now. If he measures at 5'10", 5'11", I don't really care that much. Right? That's not the big thing to me. Like it's not 1995 anymore. These guys don't necessarily have to throw over six, seven offensive linemen in the pocket to be able to have success in the NFL. I'm not as worried about that. I think the weight thing is a legit concern. And it's going to be over dissected. It really is. Like, I, I forgot that Bryce had to gain 20 pounds before he played his first game at Bama. I mean, dude was thin. He was real thin. And that was to get up to 194 right now. Like, he's always going to take a lot of hits playing the style that he likes to play. I mean, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, they were both sub six feet, but they were also on the right side of 200 pounds. And they were about like 10 to 12 pounds heavier than Young. And and that's what this conversation is going to be about. Like, even Lamar was 216 at the combine. Mm -hmm. And we think Lamar is like a really thin type dude. And it's really tough to get a clean shot on him. Probably the same thing with Bryce Young as well in a different sort of way because of what he does behind the line of scrimmage as opposed to Lamar ahead of the line of scrimmage. I, I don't know though that there's a physical comp for Bryce Young. And that's why this conversation is going to continue for so long. I, think about the way that he operates and the, how he uses his frame. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's perfectly fair to wonder about durability if you're picking a quarterback and it's a top three overall pick. like, Or if you're picking number one overall. I, I think that's a fair thing to wonder about. like. I, I think we're, we're going to be talking about Bryce Young and Will Anderson, CJ Stroud, Jalen Carter, like those four in these way too early mocks seem to be like the consensus top four in some variety. Uh, and people are going to be all over the place on Bryce Young. That, that's just, that's going to happen. And if you don't think it's going to happen, then you probably haven't been paying attention to the way that we've been talking about quarterbacks in recent memory. Right. Um, any other draft related thoughts before we, before we close the book on, on 2022? Um, no, no, I, I honestly think we covered a lot of everything. I think that, you know, like, as we talked about, Jordan had a really impressive class. Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of on your page about Bryce Young. You know, we joked about that going into this year, going to the Heisman Valley, because adversity, it's like, well, here it comes. Like, this is the year that will probably be the most adversity. As wild as that Great sounds, point. given how hard last year was, especially kind of toward that back half, like, I think this is going to be a big time, like, mental and physical grind for him, simply because he was so, like, remember we joked about it in the preseason, like, oh, he's not taking a snap, how about these Heisman odds, da da da. But everything he did was a pleasant surprise last year. Now, like we've talked about, no Heisman winner ever in the history of ever, like, People immediately just turn on the hater switch as soon as they come back to college. The best thing you could do is win a Heisman right off into the sunset like Joe Burrow did, because I'm sure we would have found a way to make make him a third round pick if he had played one more year. You know what I'm saying? Because then it's, oh, you had 
60 touchdowns. This year you had 45. That's horrible. You know what I'm saying? So I, in a way, I actually feel bad. But I know that Bryce Young is living a great life or whatever. And hey, shout out to him. You know that there's got to be like some assignment in Tuscaloosa that's like, hey, look, Bryce, we got to put another 20 pounds on you, man. All you got to do is lift and eat Tuscaloosa food. Like that sounds awesome. That sounds he, awesome. <laughs> I don't know that he's built to put on that kind of weight, though. That, yeah. That, that's my my pushback and. Lord knows he's going to have those conversations, and that'll be um, that'll be a very constant topic of conversation throughout the 2022 season and in the 2023 pre-draft process. All right, let's kick it to Matt Hayes. A lot to sort through with this changing landscape of the sport. It does really feel like we've kind of reached uh, a crossroads in a lot of different ways, some ways more than others. So here is Matt Hayes. I'm not excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our guy, Matt Hayes. Matt, uh, we're going to talk about the implications of this this Jordan Addison stuff, but we we've got to start with the big story in Jacksonville. What what's been the the reaction of the uh, the Trayvon Walker move? First off, I like that screen you got there, man. That's Thank really you. professional. Thank you. You got you got your mic, and then you got the screen, and yeah, you're. I mean, you're big time, right? The now. whole deal, man. Yeah, that's, that's how we do it. It's almost like a rock and roll star. It's kind of what it is, actually. Pretty cool. uh, your words, not mine. Right, right. <laughs> um, I think it's kind of wait and see. I mean, there was really no true number one guy. So, uh, you know, I think people are kind of like, all right. I mean, last year it was, you know, you knew you had your guy, you knew you had your quarterback, and you kind of go from there. And then, you know, the nightmare that was herb for 11 months kind of shot that down, basically put a guy who's can't miss and who every scout I've ever talked to said is a generational type quarterback, best quarterback since – you know, since Andrew Luck or even prior to that, John Elway, and he has a terrible season because he's in a misfit offense. He's got a coaching staff that doesn't talk to each other. It's a terrible offense. They can't protect him. They drop passes. They run the wrong routes. What else do you want to know about Trevor Lawrence's first year in Jacksonville? So the fact that they got Trevon Walker uh, or Trayvon Walker, however they want to pronounce it, is, you know, I, I think it's like a wait and see here. You know, it's just, I, I think the people in the city were so beaten down by what happened last year with Herb and that nightmare of how it just literally, he, he literally stole a season from Trevor Lawrence. And, and I think they're just waiting to see what happens now with the new coach and a new, new idea. I had some Georgia fans who were upset that I criticized Trayvon Walker, which I, I get because you're always going to defend your guy, but I was actually more critical of Jacksonville making a move like this where, you know, like understanding not exactly who they are in this situation, you know, it, it, it's almost like the, the middle-aged soccer dad who has a midlife crisis and buys a motorcycle and starts living on the road. And you're like, buddy, you're, you're a father of three. What, what, what are you doing? You're, you're not a bachelor in your mid-20s. It's more an identity crisis for me about, about who Walker is and the player that he can develop into because I, I'm not going to sit here and say like he can't develop into a good NFL player. I absolutely think that's the case. But I just think that in this spot, it just was a weird head-scratching move that – I, I couldn't ever really fully make sense of because of, of who they are and what they've been for the last 14, 15 years. Yeah. I mean, he's very talented. There's no doubt about it, but the reality is had they not chosen him, he might not have gone until 10. Yeah. You know, eight, nine, 10, somewhere around there. It's easy to say that it's easy to, to project that. Um, you know, he, he could be a guy where, you know, three or four years from now, you're like, what a blown pick. He could also be a guy. I mean, he's six, five, two seventy, He runs a four, five, one forty, And he's shown at Georgia you know, he's got the length. He's shown at Georgia he can get after the passer. So they're going to stick him on the edge, and they're gonna, he's going to go after the quarterback. And he's, if he's a guy that gives them, you know, 10 sacks a year, that's great. If it's anything less than that, honestly, Connor, you're talking about the number one overall pick. Yeah. If it's anything less than 10 sacks a year, it's, it's not worth the pick. It's just not. 
So, I, you know, I think that's what they're hoping for. They're hoping that they have someone on the other side of Josh Allen who had a great first year um, at, at, with the Jaguars and hasn't done anything since in the last two years. In fact, they just recently picked up his fifth-year option like with a day to go on the deadline or less than a day to go on the deadline. So it, I, I think it's interesting to try to find a way to make that defense better. But the way I look at it, and I've been saying this all along, the most important position, position and piece to your team is number 16. And you got to build around him. And they built around him in the offseason by getting a couple of number three receivers. They still do not have a number one receiver, which is a little bit odd. I've got a new campaign for, for the Jags next year. You can use this on, on your radio show. You haven't gone in for your radio show yet on 1010 right. XL. Um, Wilt for Willie. That's it right there. That, that's I, I realize the Jags, have, they've loaded up now on the edge rushers, right. but you want to go get Will Anderson. Wilt for Willie is the new tanking campaign for the Jags this year. What do you think about that? Well, I had one that was similar to that. I, I had one that was do everything you can to move up to get Jameson Williams. I know it doesn't sound as good as yours, but you, they didn't you want to take him number one overall, However, didn't you? The Lions moved up and got him. Yeah. It yeah, didn't yeah. give away much. That's this true. franchise did not. Uh, yes, I would. Look, I know I'm an idiot. I don't have the NFL shield on my face like everyone else does in the NFL. And they talk about the NFL. No, you can't do that. You can't take a receiver at one. Why are you doing that? Because I saw what Jamar Chase did last year. And this guy's about as close to Jamar Chase as can be. And then you say, you can't take somebody with an injury. Well, you know what? Every pick is a crap. That sucks, Every by the way. I one. hate that. I, I can't stand the people who are telling me, look, he's going to miss the first month of the season. Who cares? Right, so what? That doesn't matter. That, that, they're not going to the playoffs anyways. Get the guy that you think could be a future all pro. Right. You suck anyway. Get a guy that you think can help your quarterback. That's, the, that's what I was thinking all along is get somebody that can help your quarterback. Not some guy that you think potentially could be a good rush end with the first overall pick. Some guy that you like his potential. The first thing they said, I don't know why we're getting off in this tangent because you're going to get me all upset. Okay. <laughs> One of the first things they said at the press conference, the, the GM, Trent Balky, said, yeah, we got a lot of stuff to work on. Something along, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He's got a lot of stuff to work on. No. No, Trent. If you take the number one overall pick and he's got a lot of stuff to work on, you got problems with your pick process. Yeah, Seriously. I, I mean, it's, it's annoying, but, you know, that's where you are right now. Okay. That's why this franchise is the worst franchise in the NFL, period. Maybe, though, Jordan Addison will be the target. That, that, that would be a guy that you can get on board with. Guy it, would, who, it would, but Jordan Addison doesn't run like Jameson Williams, man. That's true. Nobody that's runs like Jameson Williams. That's very true. Um, okay, so, so shifting gears a little bit, um, Jordan Addison might actually have to take a pay cut to play for the Jags if he goes in the first round next year. Um, okay. With the way that this looks, I mean, the compensation package that was rumored with USC, it, it's unbelievable. There, there are a ton of, of different layers to this and how it impacts college football. For those who didn't see this story, this is kind of a Friday night news dump to, to see this come out during rounds two and three of the NFL draft. Jordan Addison, who won the Blitnikoff Award last year, ahead of Jamison Williams. He's a preseason All-American. On Friday night, we find out that he's reportedly going to enter the transfer portal seeking a bigger NIL package and that USC is the target. Pat Narduzzi apparently reached out to Lincoln Riley, which I can only imagine how that conversation went, and I would have paid a lot of money. He was probably not happy, man. (laughs) He was probably not happy. And I don't blame him. So, okay, so answer this. Why would the NCAA not actually investigate this for tampering? Because to me, the NCAA, who has a rule in place for tampering, 
they, they have a, a clear and obvious case here that the bigger issue for me is not necessarily NIL and how much money Jordan Addison could be getting, but it's the fact that tampering clearly could have gone on to make something like this happen before the May 1st deadline. So first off, I, I would have paid anything to be on that call. Dude's going, you want me to come out to LA? Cause I'll fly yes. out to LA right now. I'll uh-huh. get in my car and drive to LA. Yeah. You know, you can hear him saying that. Okay. So he's so good, by the way. So um, I, I will say this. You and I talked about this, Connor, that if you're talking about a team that's really going to flourish in the, in the NIL world, it's going to be USC because of where they are, because they're in Hollywood, because of all the money out there in Los Angeles. Yes, they're going to flourish and people better get used to it. He's going to get players out there because he's got the ability to have that kind of cash. You know, the, 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 the alumni base, the money out there, they're going to get players out there. Now, Number two, to your original point, um, I will say this. The NCAA has no idea what to do right now with NIL because they can't. They can't touch it. Anything they do will be looked upon as you're preventing this guy from earning money off his name, image, and likeness. And we saw what happened in the, with the Supreme Court case last summer, how they roundly rejected it and basically told the NCAA to go scratch. Get out of here. It's never going to happen. So I, I think when you look at that and you, and you see where they are, you're, you're not going to see them do anything. With Kyle, uh, uh, Connor, it's literally the wild, wild west right now. There's nothing. There are no rules. I think that's why coaches are so upset. But look, for, for how long now? For 100 years, there's been nothing but rules. There, you know, there, there's been multi-million, multi-billion dollar deals, and, and these guys haven't gotten anything from it other than – and again – Connor, I realize there is value in education. There is value in developing these guys and getting them ready for professional football. I understand that completely. I get that. It doesn't match the value of the money they bring in. We're literally talking about a group of universities combining to to, to become a Fortune 500 company. The SEC brought in $833 million last year, and it gave out to its 14-member institutions. $833 million. That's insane, okay? The playoff will expand. That's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And when it does, that'll be another $1.2 billion at least, at least on top of all that, that they all get to share. So you can't get to that point where you're making all that money, and then you can say, I'm going to have this rule against the players, I'm going to have this rule against players, and I'm going to have this rule against players. There are no rules right now. Congress is not going to get involved because Congress saw what SCOTUS did. So they're not going to get involved. They're, look, look. College football and college sports in general has changed forever. Deal with it. It's, it's done. The idea of the amateur model is done. Those, there will be winners and there will be losers moving forward. Those who win will embrace the new, the new model. Those who lose will go kicking, screaming, and they won't want to do it. And then eventually they'll say, well, we got to do it. And then by that time, it'll be too late. Okay, let me push back on you, though. There, there is a rule in place. The NCAA has a tampering rule. Right. It's right. there, but there right. is no point in having a rule unless you do something to enforce it. And the NCAA, right. if they ignore a case like this that is as high profile as it gets, where there is no way in which a deal like this is being done unless there is communication beforehand to say, you need to enter the transfer portal, and here's what we're going to do to take care of you and make sure that it is worth your time. They have a rule 
in place, but having a rule in place and then not doing anything is essentially like what they did with the faking injuries thing, where they're essentially relying on coaches to police each other and hoping that somehow takes care of it. But I don't care how intimidating Pat Narduzzi is. And if he shows up on Lincoln, Lincoln Riley's doorstep, this 13,000 square foot home and goes into one of his 12 bathrooms and camps out there and says, you need to give me Jordan Addison back. It doesn't matter because if the NCAA doesn't punish anything, then there's nothing stopping Lincoln Riley from doing that year after year after year. And that, in my opinion, is the only thing that can possibly change this. If the NCAA looks into this and finds blatant cases of tampering, which tampering is not new. You know, that's the thing that I come back to. Like if you read the Lars Anderson book on Dabo, there's a little story in there about CJ Spiller, about how he was on campus at Florida during his freshman year. And Tebow is pitching CJ Spiller on on whether or not he should come to Florida, that's blatant tampering. And he's able to stay at Clemson and the rest is kind of history with CJ Spiller. But my point is that why is there nothing that's being done about this? If they're willing to look into cell phone records with coaches who have done wrong and have, have committed NCAA violations, you can go back to the Hugh Freeze thing where they found his, his, his cell phone records, and all these different things. Why are they not willing to look into a case like this where it is so painfully obvious? Okay, so first off, I want to give you this this visual of, of Narduzzi in his tracksuit going up and knocking on Lincoln Riley's door. I want my guy back. <laughs> He's got like a bat, like a Ray Donovan bat in his hand, you know? Oh, yeah. I want my guy back. <laughs> I, so, okay, so listen, let, let's start from the beginning here because this is kind of the reality of the situation. The NCAA is, a, is, is the, the, all the member institutions, their presidents, that's what the NCAA is. It's not Mark Emmert. So anyone says, oh, Mark Emmert's an idiot. He's the reason it sucks. Yeah. Mark Emmert is literally just a figurehead. All he is is the guy who gets paid three minutes a year to take all the slings from everybody. All right. So it's the, it's the group of NCAA presidents that run the show. All right. And that group of NCAA presidents had a coach who had five, not one, not two, not three, Connor, five level one violations. The most level, the most harshest violation you can have standing on a stage and accepting the national championship trophy for men's no basketball. And, yeah. and that same coach, less than a year earlier, agreed with one of those member institutions that run the NCAA, okay, that in his new contract extension, he cannot be fired for results of the NCAA investigation where he cheated. That's unbelievable. And Kansas said, okay. So that's where we are right now. If you're asking me, if you're asking me why won't they do something with the rule they have in place, because they're not doing things with the, the recruiting rules they have in place or the sanctions that they have in place right now, or the idea of sanctioning teams. You know, they have all these rules, these level one, level two, level three ideas of, of violations. They're doing nothing with them now. Yeah. So why would they do anything as, as in their minds as little as, okay, tampering? Look, it's, and here's another thing too. No matter what they do, even if there is a rule in place, there will be an attorney somewhere for Jordan Addison or whoever, Connor O'Gara, the, the tailback of Ball State, who says, no, no, you're preventing him from earning money. Trip, trip. Right. And that's it. And that ends right there. And they say, OK, OK, good enough. Go ahead. I, uh, I think that there are there are there are so many different ways to look at this and, and why it's not an open and shut case, because I think there are a lot of people very conflicted. Um, Matt Berry had the tweet about this is 
Like this is what everybody has been saying that they wanted. At the same time, I do think that though there is the other side of this of understanding, well, there are short and long-term implications of a situation like this. And this is maybe the first of many in the future. And I think what people looked at that saying is what's stopping every All-American from threatening to enter the portal days before May 1st, every single year so that they can get their money and look like, I think we've seen kind of individual instances of this. I go back to the Keishon Butte thing with LSU and how like this guy's not looking for playing time. All right. Like he's, he's looking for money. It's pretty clear. It's pretty obvious. If you look at the way that the Caleb Williams things play played out, he's going to the highest bidder. We we pretty much understood this. I I think that there, there can be some resistance to this in in a couple of different ways. Like if you're a quarterback and if you decide that you're going to go into the transfer portal and try and get as much money as possible, what's an easy way to lose the trust of your teammates. If you come back, if you're, a place that's loaded with five-star talent teams can kind of call your bluff and let you walk or if you're if you're one of these teams like Pitt you better have your NIL ducks in a row you better have your deals lined up to make sure that your guys are taken care of and that they're not going to even think about this and yeah that sounds like professional sports because it is and that's the place that we have gotten to in a very quick period of time with college with college athletics but that kind of feels like the best way that a school like Pitt, a lesser power five school can sort of circumvent some of this, make sure you got your NIL stuff figured out and your stars aren't hitting the portal and thinking about those extra possibilities. Well, it's funny, you know, dad was asked about the transfer portal, but from Chris Lowe at ESPN and, and dad was said, you know, my transfer portal is right there and pointed to his locker room. And he's right. If he's, if he's recruiting the right way, Connor, he's recruiting the guys he wants and the guys he thinks can win him a national championship. The idea then is you just keep those guys happy. The best way to keep those guys happy is, like you said, figure out NIL deals. Now, I will say this. For, for everyone who says, oh, these guys shouldn't be doing whatever they want. They shouldn't be getting money. You know, Keishon Butte shouldn't be trying to get more money at LSU. Look, four years ago, Justin Ross, I talked to a scout, and he told me there were two, two, two players stood out among all the others on that Clemson-Alabama National Championship game. There were a ton of players playing in the NFL in that game, okay? A ton including Watkins and some really good players, right? Christian Watkins, those guys. He told me there were two guys that stood out, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Ross. Four years later, Justin Ross doesn't even get drafted because he's got the next spine problem, okay? So how can you sit there and look at Justin Ross and tell him, I know you won a national championship for Clemson. You played a critical role in that. I know you worked for four years for a program that is um, uh, you know, among the high profile and of all of the NCAA has made multi-millions of dollars, and you're not going to give him money? How, how could you not give him a name, image, and likeness? Now, unfortunately for him, the name, image, and likeness deal came on too late. Yeah. It came along after he was like at this elite point in his career. But there are others just like him. How about Marcus Lattimore at South Carolina? Great example. Never went to the NFL. A phenomenal player, okay? Dylan Moses at Alabama, a phenomenal player. Hurts his knee, never the same player again. Jake Butt at Michigan, a phenomenal player. Blows his knee out in the Orange Bowl, his last game in college football. Gets drafted later in the rounds by the Bills, plays three seasons, and that's it. He's done. His knee, his knee is, uh, is uh, congenitally bad. Can't play anymore. So that's my idea. You're, now you're talking, we're at the point of, okay, look, we know there's millions upon millions upon even billions of dollars in this situation of, quote, unquote, amateur sports. These guys have a right to go out there and earn money off their name, image, and likeness, okay? It's not costing the universities anything directly, directly. Now, indirectly, Connor, 
That's another story. And that's an issue that's going to have to be solved because the money going to all these collectives would typically go to the athletic departments of the schools. That's how they build facilities. That's how they take care of scholarships for uh, non-Olympic sports. That's how things run. Now you're in a point where nobody wants to give money for that. They just want to give money for the football and basketball teams. And that's how they win. So that's going to be an issue. But at the end of the day, it's not directly coming from the universities. And people need, need to understand that. This is, and I, we talked about this a long time ago, Connor. Yeah. This, the NIL was literally the get out of jail free card for, for all the universities because they don't have to pay them, yet they can still get paid, the players. Collectives are um, a messy area that the NCAA def- definitely did not account for. And you're starting to see certain things come out because I, I think there's good to be had from collectives. And I, I think that there are still some things that we need to, to be able to like wrap our heads around because it's not a good thing that you can be a fan and donate to a collective and then write them off as a charitable donation on your taxes. To me, I look at that and that, that gets into a whole other you know list of, of issues there, but there's a problem with that and the way that that structure sets up. And that, that to me doesn't sit very well, but it doesn't feel like like that, the collective, you know, th- this boom that we're seeing, that that's going to change. It feels like more and more schools are going to get these collectives or seeing the benefits of this. A place like Tennessee is really benefiting off of it a lot. But I, I do think there has to be some market correction. I don't know if Jordan Addison is going to live up to whatever sort of NIL earnings he gets, but I do think there are going to be bad investments made and capitalism will still correct this and there will still be some pushback. And so for all these people who are saying we need restrictions, we need restrictions. Capitalism is the restriction. Yes, capitalism the market is eventually corrects itself. The market always yes. does. So that, yes. if, you're, if you're thinking that this is just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse and you're going to see these guys getting these insane contracts, these guys have to live up to their contracts in the same way that they do in the NFL. Otherwise, these contracts aren't going to be agreed upon in the first place. Let me tell you something. If, if heaven forbid something would happen to Nico Iamaleva, okay? Great pronunciation. He, you crushed he, that. He, he's, the, he's the $8 million man right now who's yet to even step on campus at Tennessee. Heaven forbid something happened to him. But if, if the collective is paying him now, which they are, okay? Which, again, it's legal. You, it does, just because they're not in college doesn't mean they can't pay him. Yeah. All right? So, so if something happens to him or even if his first year – he goes out there and he's just not that good. And he gets beaten out by a third stringer. It will correct. Yeah. It always corrects. Life evolves and it will evolve in college football too, in college basketball. So it, it's, you know, initially I think it's really good for players because I think they start to get stuff they should have gotten all along, but eventually it will begin to even out. And eventually people will start saying, well, I'm, I'm just not going to pay that. And then they'll say, well, I'll go to someone else. And the other university says, well, I'm not paying that either. So eventually it will even out. It's, but like you said, it's going to take a few years. It's going to be a, a few years of wild, wild west, baby. All right. Look, Connor, there's a reason Missouri finished in the top 20 in recruiting this year. Drink does a great job. He's a, he's a terrific recruiter. Kids love him. They're not getting a top 20 class unless they've got a collective that they're, that they're using. Yeah. Texas A&M, for all that Jimbo said, for all his grandstanding and screaming and yelling, they got that class, those eight five-star guys, because of the quote-unquote, it's called the fund at Texas A&M. That's their collective. Now, if Jimbo wants to say our guys out recruit them, he's right. They did. They did because they knew the process. They understood the process. They embraced the process, and they did it better than anyone else. 
So I would give Jim Wood and staff credit for that. But to say that the, that there's no there's no real factor in the idea of paying these players from yeah, silly. Like, that's ridiculous. It's a hundred percent ridiculous. And here's another thing too. Everybody always says, well, the, the, you know, the rich are going to get richer. No, they're not. Okay. It's whoever pays the most for the net for the first three, four years. So this thing starts evening out. It's whoever pays the most in Texas A&M is a perfect example. Kentucky with the top 15 recruiting class last year, a perfect example, Missouri, a perfect example, Arkansas, a top 20 recruiting class, a perfect example. He who pays the most will get the best players. That's it. I thought Aaron Taylor had a really, um, really powerful message in the wake of this, this Jordan Addison stuff. Um, the only thing that I'll push back on, and for those saying that this is going to continue to, to drive fans away from the sport, and I do feel like we are at a crossroads because it's, it's a very different time than we were talking about just three or four years ago. I still think that fans are able to say this at a time like now when it's April or May, I guess. And when it's a fall Saturday, I don't think the energy changes that much. And I, I can't forecast down the road, but I was paying attention to that pretty closely this past year. It's like, all right, is NIL going to all of a sudden change the way that fans feel about their specific teams? And to be honest with you, I, I, I didn't see any sort of like, it, it's easier to kind of pile on some of these kids who make that NIL money. A lot was made about Spencer Rattler and he was too NIL focused. And, and it was an easy guy to be able to kind of turn on both fans within Oklahoma and outside of it. But I still come back to the belief of like, as much as this sport changes, those fall Saturdays are still sacred and that's not going anywhere. And it's easiest to say something like that at a time, like right now when games aren't going on. Sure. I mean, and also it's football, man. It's there's a reason the NFL is one of the most successful businesses in the world, the world. So now whether you like it or not, and I know a lot of people don't like it. And frankly, I don't like it that much either. College football is moving toward the NFL. It is becoming an NFL model. All right. It is a big business now. It's always been a big business, but now you've got an above board, big booming business where you can see players getting paid. You can see players saying, look, I'm not going there because I'm going here because I get more money. So I, I, don't, I don't think that all of a sudden now that college football is a business and people realize it's a business and it's no more, I'm going to put $50,000 in that Amazon locker and you're going to go get it and that's your money to play for, you know, state you. Yeah. Now, just because it's not that anymore doesn't mean people are going to say all of a sudden, I'm not going to watch college football anymore. I'm not interested in college football anymore. I mean, come on. That's, that's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I, I think, if anything, it makes uh, college football even more popular. The, the net positive of some of this NIL stuff is we're seeing guys like Oscar Shibway, uh, Hennon Hooker is another that comes to mind. We're seeing it with a lot of big men in college basketball with guys who are coming back where it feels like they're coming back because NIL is there and they have those opportunities, the financial incentive. It just kind of makes a lot of sense instead of being, you know, maybe a mid round pick and kind of starting your career a little earlier, you can come back to college and, and rake in a whole lot of dough. The people that you've talked to in terms of coaches and scouts, have they sort of acknowledged that aspect of this and the way that they're going to try and use this to, to promote the sport and the well being of it? So I was talking to a coach this weekend. He's got a player, okay, a starter, and he's a fifth-year senior, okay? He's a starter. Hasn't earned a dime. Man. He's got a guy they just signed who's making, you know, four or $500,000. And he's like, goes into him and he says, you know, coach, I mean, I'm starting. I'm a key to this team. 
And the best part is this is rare. The kid laughed and they laughed about it, you know, and it was, yeah, yeah, I get it, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they're 99% of the time, the kid's not going to laugh. The kid's going to say, I want something. Yeah. I want something or I'm going in the portal. So it's look. I think that I think the, the, the thing with the coaches right now is a majority of them don't like it because they don't have control. So these guys are all about control. They're all about, okay. And I don't mean that in a negative sense, Connor. I want to be very clear about that. They're all about control in the, in the sense of this is the way we do things. If you do it this way, I promise you, you will get to the NFL and you will make a lot of money. Now they don't have that control anymore. Now they don't have the idea of, look, man, just bust your ass for a year and you will be starting next year. Now it's, no, I'm going to final start. And it was like that before, but now it's even more because now there's some other state university that says, hey, look at this cash I got for you. Come here and you can start for us. That's what they're concerned about. They don't have any of that control. But I think all of them, and to, to a man, every one of them I talk to, they understand it. They get it. And they're really not upset about these guys getting money. They're not. And a lot of people, they go, oh, yeah, they just don't want the players to get money. No, that's not true. They're not upset about that. They're just upset that there's no framework within this situation of how these guys can make money. And they also realize, Connor, that there's no such thing as a framework. You can't do it unless it completely comes like the NFL, a complete NFL model where you have salary caps and everything like that. You will not have a framework. There is zero framework. You can't because anything you try and do, there will be an attorney that will take it to, the, to, the, to a court and a court will say, you can't do that. That's just where they're all right. And they all know that. Last one for you. Uh, you wrote about Kirby in first and 10. Uh, I think it was last, I think I want to say it was last week or, or two weeks ago um, and why he's the best in the sport right now. It, it feels inevitable that, that Kirby is getting uh, some new 10 year deal worth at least a hundred million dollars. I think Josh Brooks needs to probably make him the highest paid coach in the country. It feels inevitable. What do you think that deal that that structure should look like for Kirby? I mean, he'll, he'll probably get a seven, seven year deal, eight year deal. You don't think it's going to be 10? Uh, it could be. If it's 10, it'll probably be 10 years, 130 million, something like that. He's going to be the highest paid coach. Um, and it, it'll be backloaded, I'm sure. Um, and then now they will have to go and put saving a dollar ahead of him, which is fine. You know, that's fine. It, it's funny. I went on fine. Bomb, Paul was like, you know, and I know Paul, I've known Paul for years. He's trying to get, you know, things stirred up, but you know, how can you say it with Nick? And, you know, Nick is the greatest of all time. That's the foundation. We all know that. What I'm saying is right now, the guy doing it better than anyone right now is Kirby is Kirby smart. He figured it out. Not only that, here's another thing. He won a national title with Stetson Bennett playing quarterback. Your I know Stetson's your boy. I know no, he's your you're, boy. You're I know you love him, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he literally won that championship when everyone was telling him, you're playing the wrong guy. They won the title. I was expecting them to go all double birds if we got to the middle of the field after they won the national championship. But, uh, I mean, it's right. You would have loved that. I know you yeah. would. Um, <laughs> I, I just think the way he's recruiting and more important, the way that staff, he and that staff are developing players. I mean, that defense last year, they're going to be really good on defense again this year. Um, the way they're developing players, the way they've got guys that are buying in on both sides of the ball, it's impressive. It's what Nick had initially at Alabama. It's the same process Nick dealt with. Great defense, run the ball, throw off play action. That's what they're doing. And they're winning a national championship with it. And frankly, honestly, Connor, had he not blown the Justin Fields situation, they probably would have won another national championship at Georgia. So 
you know, he, he's done. He, he's at the point now where I think he's comfortable with what he's doing, but he clearly made mistakes early on. And I think maybe years down the road, he might admit to that. And he might say, yeah, I blew with Justin Fields. I probably cost us a national title. He's not going to say that now, but I think four, five, six, seven years down the road when he's got another natty, he might look back and say, you know what? Yeah, we probably did blow it. Yeah, you're the best, man. We'll talk soon. And uh, yeah, enjoy Jacksonville and, and all the, uh, the fun post-draft breakdowns. <laughs> always, always starting today, man. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. We're talking about the beach and figuring it out. Will, how far is the, the closest beach to you? Um, honestly, man, it might be like Savannah type vibes. I really haven't gone to the beach since I moved to Georgia, to be honest with you. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize it was that far. Savannah's like, that's, that's like what? Three hours from you? Two hours? Yeah. It's not close. Usually when I go to the beach, I'll just go to Florida to go like visit Brittany's family because they have a boat. But yeah, I haven't even tried to establish like a hometown beach. Dang, that's too bad. Because you grew up going to the beach, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, we were, like talking, we were talking about last pod. Yeah. yeah, we were talking about this a little bit last pod. When my parents split up, my dad moved to Pensacola, which wasn't the worst deal in the world because we just got to go to the beach all the time. So, yeah, I obviously love the beach. But, uh, yeah, you're making me realize I might, it might be beach trip season. We'll go for Memorial Day, I'm sure. Well, I, I, we were there we were there Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't go often enough. And we were kind of talking about this yesterday. We are like, why don't we go more and then we think about all the things that we put off doing on Sunday right. to go to the beach. We're like, oh, that's that's why we don't go more because there's like a million things that we do on, on Sundays. So, uh, but we still like to be able to go to, to New Smyrna. That's that's our go-to beach, about 55 minutes away from us here in Orlando. Really easy drive. Uh, that type of beach that's crazy crowded. You can drive on it, but it's also a different vibe than Daytona. Mm-hmm. Um, Slightly, yeah. Yeah, just a little bit. I, I never realized that there was a, a type of beach that I liked versus a type of beach that I didn't like oh, until man. we went to Daytona. <laughs> <laughs> but Buddy, I, the wrong kind of beach for your vibe is one of the worst, it's like hell on earth. Cause it's like, if you're too turned up and you're at like kind of like a senior type beach, it's horrible. But if you're trying to relax and there are loud people around you and you're at the beach and you're thinking to yourself like, I took time off for this. I can't go anywhere else. This is horrible. That's why, that's why the beach is the ultimate place where you got to do you. Yep. You, you got to figure out what works. I'm not, I, I won't hate on the people that, that want Daytona. If, if you want Daytona, that's, that's your thing. That's totally fine. Be at Daytona. Do that there. Right. Don't do that at other places because other places have a different vibe. Um, it's Daytona, like I wouldn't consider uh, a place that I would want to bring the beach tent and lay out. It's, it's it's a rager, you know, very, very different. Everybody that's, that's been there knows that, but it's, you know, it's got a time and a place. When I go to the beach, I want a few things. I want a place that has enough space that we can set up our beach chairs and towels. And now that we just invested in, in beach tent. Um, yes. I shouldn't say we invested in that. Ryan and Audrey got that for us. My brother and sister-in-law, shout out to them. Um, so they're, they're unbelievable. Unbelievable. Did not know how much we needed a beach tent until we got a beach tent. But that is now a, a must every single time we go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I prefer pretty chill atmosphere that we're talking about. I don't want to hear other people's music being blasted. Mm-hmm. That's not my vibe. Never has been. Don't think it'll ever will be now that I'm, uh, by the time people are listening to this, I will have turned 32 years old. Happy birthday, so, Connor, everybody. 
Thank you. Thank you, Will. Just oh. restrict all your bad bad takes for like to him for the next several days. He's celebrating. <laughs> Don't try to cold take his articles. Enjoy his content. Just let him be merry. Thank you, Will. A little peel behind the onion here. Today, get a package on the door and, uh, and I open it up and I'm like, it's a Cubs home plate, but it's wooden. And it's from, um, what is it, Baseball Barbecue? Mm-hmm. This is the company, I think. And I'm like, who sent this to me? I have no idea who sent this to me. I, I don't know why so many packages these days, they they don't have like a, oh, this is exactly who, like what person mm-hmm. sent this. And so I'm like, I was like texting my brother and, and, and my sister-in-law and they're like, oh, like, did you guys send me this? If so, thanks. And they're like, nope, we can't take credit for that because we didn't send it. And then I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, wait a minute, Will just asked me for my address. I bet this is from Will. And then sure enough, it is from you. And now I cannot wait to be able to bust out my Cubs home plate cutting board. Yes, sir. And be able to prep meats or be able to cut veggies or whatever the heck I want to do with it. I told you, I told you before we came on here, like I almost want to add it to my Zoom background. Mm-hmm. This thing looks so cool. It's almost like one of those functional gifts that you're like, I want to just hold this up and brag that I have it. <laughs> Even more than using it because I'm like, this it's not every day that you get a a, a wooden home plate that also has your favorite team on it. So what a great idea. Exactly. Awesome Listen, idea. Apex dad gift for Connor. You know what I'm saying? He can flex at the Love barbecue. It. And yeah, man, that's like I said, happy birthday. And you know, hopefully you get a beach day in there again somewhere, man, because it, this is the end of your, you know, heavy season. This is finally, we get to scale back the pods a little bit. Your Twitter mentions become a lot less toxic. This is your time of the year. You can watch the Cubs on television now. Uh, I mean, your head is in the, your head is in the exact right place. And we're going to, what this time of year essentially means is that, you know, things got to kind of go into a little bit more nine to five. And then we were able to do some more long-term projects mm-hmm. with it, but it's grilling season, man. Like it's, it's May in Orlando. If we're, if we're not grilling every weekend, then we're probably doing something wrong. So Thanks. I'm fired up to be able to use it. Thank you very much. Will. great gift. Happy great birthday, gift. man. Uh, well, we're, uh, we have a lot of different, different things that we need to break down all things beach Mm -hmm. because I I think I'm, I think I'm a little bit different than most. Um, and here's what I mean by that. I want, I I always want to have food when I'm at the beach. Oh yeah. I don't know about you. Food is a a must. And I used to be the person that would just kind of, you know, maybe you bring a couple drinks or something like that. Maybe, maybe you bring, maybe you bring snacks, but now I'm like, no, 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 no we need to have our sandwich situation figured out. Oh yes. Okay. If you're not prepping sandwiches, that that's a that's a no-go for me. We got we got to have that set up ready to go in addition to the drinks and all that stuff and your typical, you know, beachwear type stuff. But I, I now I'm at that place where I look forward to that that I'm hungry at the beach. I'm going to go destroy this sandwich that I brought. I look forward to that feeling so much. Mm-hmm. Um, too much. Some might say, <laughs> like we got to the beach yesterday and we were there for a half hour. And we're both like, you want to eat lunch right now? Like, yes. <laughs> been thinking about Absolutely. this this whole time. I'm a, a beach sandwich enjoyer is what you are. I, and to be able to, you know, you got to keep the sand out of the sandwich. Yep. That's, that's, that's key. You don't take the sandwich fully away from the wrapper. Like you got to, you got to keep that locked in. Sandwich isn't touching bare hand because Lord knows bare hand is going to have at least some sort of sand on it. Right. right? That's inevitable. You got to have your koozies, right? You got to be able to keep whatever beer, seltzer, whatever your drink of choice is. You got to be able to keep that fresh. Like those things are all, are all must for me. 
But yeah, I've, I've got to that place now where I prioritize that food element because I know how much I look forward to it. And you also, this is the thing you forget. This is the thing you forget. You bring your beers, you bring your seltzers, you bring whatever, whatever you want. Wine coolers, that's your thing by all means. Bring that water. Yep. Always bring that water. Even if you're going to the beach and you're, 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 you're killing a 12 pack, you're, you're gonna want those waters, man. Every single time I don't have water at the beach. Holy crap. I just got shocked no. in the ear. Did you see that happen? Yeah, we just had an like unbelievable you're being moment. Possessed, bro. Are you okay? We just had an unbelievable moment on this here Saturday Down South podcast. I think I blew out my headphones. Can you hear? I can hear. <laughs> I don't, dude, I don't know what just happened. For those who just heard that in the background, we're not cutting this out. We're leaving this in. This is or this is Orlando in the summer, by the way, and it's officially summer. I just had Did you just struck by lightning thunder. <laughs> I didn't, but I just got like this massive shock in my right headphone that just, holy cow, I'm a little bit shook right now. See if I'm you can like pick you. something up with your mind really quick. Like, do you have superpowers now? Let me think about it. Let me think about it. Okay, we're clear. I cannot read your mind. Okay, I cannot read your mind. That looked no. like a Spider-Man moment. I was really scared for you for a second, but you made it, you powered through. Will, could you see that shock happening yes, in my I right ear? Yes, I physically could. It looked like it was from a Marvel movie. That was terrifying. <laughs> Good Lord, man. Here I go. I almost cold take myself by saying that by the time people are listening to this, I'm celebrating my 32nd birthday and I almost didn't make it. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Golly. All right. What are we talking about? We're talking about the beach. Food at the beach, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, you said get some water. <laughs> get some water? Man, I, I'm talking about hydrating over here and now I'm just trying to survive and not get electrocuted to death. Good Lord, what is going on here? Um, yes, so always gotta have the hydration, always gotta have food, drink option, taken care of, towels, the whole deal, whatnot, sunscreen. I am the single worst sunscreen guy no on the face of the earth. You? If you if you looked up my my sunscreen grade, if I had like a PFF grade, it'd be in like Henry Toto territory. Though that, by the way, is not good. Henry Toto's <laughs> PFF grades are very very bad. Um, I I am always missing at least one, if not two, body parts. Every single time, no matter what, it is going to be a random sunburn. The fact that I don't have one on my face is the byproduct of me wearing a hat yesterday and also wearing sunglasses. But I ended up yesterday, I'm like, surely I'm, I'm still going to have one, even though I was so confident in my sunscreen ability. The back of my knees on both sides and then the outsides of my foot. That's what got fried. Like, oh, and then the back of like my, my, my arm right here. Um, got fried but it, but it's a guarantee and i am a, a human being that has been on this earth for north of three decades and i still as a full-grown adult cannot effectively sunscreen myself to the level that i wish i could it's sad it's it's one of the holes in my game it really is yeah uh sunscreen is one of the few things that cajuns just have advantage of a regular white people because i don't sunburn like ever <laughs> and so i'd need to put sunscreen on but like if i miss the back of my knee i would not feel it the next day well, I just realized that you're gonna have video of this. Yes, I sure am. I'm gonna need to see. You're gonna. <laughs> here's what you're gonna need to do with with your job. This this is perfectly effective. You are going to need to turn that into a GIF of me getting electrocuted in my ear. Yes. Which that's what we're gonna call it before we know what it is. It's probably more like just getting shocked. But mm -hmm. who gets shocked in their ear? 
only what? only us in this day where Zoom is, Zoom is trying to attack us. The microphones have attacked us. Now you've actually been struck down by God. So oh, <laughs> Lord, man. All right, let's get to the responses in the Facebook group. We've never had an intro like that. I just want to um, say really quick, did you see that video that went viral on Twitter about uh, that woman who was walking around dipping a fruit in the ocean and eating it? What? Yeah, it was like, like the caption was like, I'm like Rihanna, I'm eating my whatever this fruit is fresh out of the sea. And she just dipped it in the, in the water in like Jamaica or whatever and started eating it. And I was immediately grossed out. Maybe I'm just like whatever, like maybe I'm just not a cool aesthetic person, but I was like, you don't know what's been in that water, young woman. I just became my dad in that moment. So point being, however cool and aesthetic you think it looks, please don't dip stuff in the water. You gotta get that salty and sweet combo though. <laughs> I'll defend that. I'll defend that all day. Maybe this is an American beach specific thing though, because I've seen people do terrible stuff at American beaches. Maybe Jamaica, they're a lot cooler. Maybe no one's, you know, relieving themselves in the water. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe a little bit lower on the the uh, the salt content of the water yep. as well. Probably. I'm not. I'm not an expert in that field. Let's just assume and hope that, that that's the case. Okay. The questions we asked in the Facebook group, your go-to beach and or your favorite vacation beach, two different things. What are your beach essentials? Uh, who's the worst person at the beach? And of course, any and all beach horror stories. I'm hoping we're gonna get a shark story, but I don't think we did. Um, Tristan Smith says, why in 2022 have we not figured out a way to make sand not 1000 degrees? Oh, yes. That's a reason I hate the beach. The other reason I hate the beach is riptides. Imagine swimming and you go under and come back and you're half a mile away. No, sir, F the beach. The riptides thing I don't really relate to. The hot sand, I don't know a way that we can cool the sand. That seems like a really great big picture idea that doesn't have any sort of science behind it. I don't know that um, anything other than simply wearing your flip-flops and being a shooby, I don't know how that would really help you. You what just looked at me like you did. I'm glad you asked, Will. <laughs> For those who watch the show Rocket Power. Oh, I know what you're talking about, yeah! Don't be a shooby. Lauren and I say it every single time we take our shoes off at the beach. Don't be a shooby. Love that. You don't want to be that person. There's a very specific person. So. You basically have to risk, you know, being a shooby or having your feet on very hot sand. I had some, I had some hot sand yesterday that was, whew, it was very unbearable. I was, I was basically running back to the beach tent to be able to get away from the hot sand. And that's on a day when I was like 82. It wasn't even that hot out. So yeah, okay, we need to figure that out. Tristan, we're gonna, we're gonna put you in charge to get on top of that. He'll take care of that. Can we us. just say Tristan Smith, handshake emoji, the Tennessee Volunteers, scared of the tide. Oh, dang. You were sitting on that one. You had that one ready to go. It's been locked alone for a minute, yeah. Yeah, okay, I, I thought so. Michael Dark says, last summer when we moved to Savannah from Atlanta, we used some of the, we used some of the money we made off of our house and rented a condo on, is it Tybee Island? I believe Tybee so, Island. yes. I believe it's Tybee. Okay. Tybee Island until we had uh, to start our new jobs. Our entry to the beach was pretty secluded, so we rarely had to deal with crowds. Best summer ever. Ooh. Must haves at the beach include a cooler, some tall boys, beach chairs, and a football. The worst people that are the people that play their music way too loud and don't pick up after themselves. Part of the reason to go to the beach is to take in the sounds of nature, not the bachelorette parties singing. <laughs> Uh, singing. <laughs> I feel like we can say WAP. That's that's not censored. <laughs> can we not? It's an acronym, yeah. you know. Like. 
I mean, shout out Cardi B, but you know. We're, you know, yeah. we're Cardi B fans of this podcast. No one ever accuses us of not being, that's fine. Of course, definitely. Um, the, uh, okay, so when you are dealing with people like that, there's one of two things you can do. You either acknowledge that you're at the wrong place or they're at the wrong place. Fair. If you acknowledge that they're at the wrong place, you, you just gotta get up and move. It doesn't matter if you've been there for four hours, you just gotta get up and move. Mm -hmm. And if everybody is like that, then you're at the wrong place. That's, I, I, you, can't, you can't tell those people in that moment, hey, like, can you kind of turn it down? You just gotta get up and move, you do. And if you're at a very, very secluded beach that's small and doesn't have the space to be able to escape that, then that's just a tough situation. I don't really have any solution for you there. <laughs> Uh, let's go to this one from uh, Daniel Batson. Daniel says, I vacation in Gulf Shores. I live in Destin. Destin sucks. The droves of, I think he meant tourists. Let's assume that he meant tourists and not terrorists. <laughs> That's what my dad used to say that all the time. The terrorists okay. are here, Will. We gotta move down the beach. They're playing their loud music. Yep, that's what they say. Very different, very different. Uh, can see how they'd be confused, but very different. Uh, those who visit Destin uh, sucks. Connor, it is your duty to reach out to the masses and tell everyone to stay as far away from Destin as possible. <laughs> this Daniel. is reverse psychology. I see it a mile away. Destin's actually a beautiful beach. Don't lie to me, I've been there. <laughs> Daniel, I, I hate to break it to you. I, I, I think the secret's out, man. Um, I, I don't think there's anything that we can do within our power to be able to tell people not to go to Destin. I, sorry, that's just uh, haze in the barn with that one, man. Yeah. Nothing I can really do about that. Jeff Jensen says, I grew up in South Florida where you could throw a rock and hit the beach. Uh, the beach is overrated, give me the mountains. Sure. Still, the appeal of the beach is real and Atlantic beaches can't be beat, especially ones far enough north of uh, the Bahamian Islands where you get actual waves. Beach must-haves are a cooler full of Cokes and Kona longboards. Oh, yeah. Love me some Kona. Kona's a go-to. With a pub sub for lunch. Oh, yes. I like the way you think, Jeff. Uh, the worst beach person is the football bros who care more about completing a layout pass uh, than, your marked, than your marked space. Um, okay. I've been, I've been the football bro. <laughs> just taking out a whole family. It's just... <laughs> We do it, no, look, look, we do it closer to the water. Right. You gotta play catch closer to the water. You can't just play, play catch in, in the sand where there's a bunch of people around you. Bad place to do it. Get as close to the water as you can as possible without having your ball taken away by the, by the riptide, I guess, I don't know. But play close to the water, stay within your limitations, all right? You wanna run a few, few little routes, that's fine. You wanna play action a few people walking in the opposite direction of you, I have no problem with that, okay? My brother and I love to be able to play action some people, okay? When people actually go for that, it's beautiful. I love it, I love it. They, they give you the fake handoff, they run a little route, you know? Just Those good seagulls, vibes. you gotta keep them guessing, all right? They do, you know, they're, they're like the pass rushers, you like pretend you're avoiding them. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, I have no problem being the football bro, as long as, you, as long as you know your place and you're staying away from people and the only way that you're involving them is maybe a potential play action fact. Uh, pass, but that's that's it. Drew Page. Beaches are overrated, but Will is right. The beaches in Pensacola are amazing. Uh, 
me and my family used to go there every year. A horror story is that one time we were, we were down there fishing about 40 minutes away in Destin. We got done and my dad put the fish in the trunk and accidentally locked the keys in the trunk with them and it was 90 degrees. Oh. My mom had to bum a ride with someone my brother knew all the way down to give us the spare key, but the trunk was already ruined. Oh, that sucks. What do you, what do, you do with that? You can't get your car detailed at that point. Yeah, that's like that's, some Pulp Fiction uh, level. Like, you gotta call a fixer at that point. Remember when Parks and Rec went, Tom Haverford says like, yeah, one time my fridge just broke. I just moved. <laughs> yes. That's what you gotta do. If you start a new life if, after that. If you just accidentally lock fish in your trunk, do you just get a new truck? Yeah, I guess, yeah. I don't know if there's, if there's air, all the air freshener in the world might not take care of that, man. Mm -hmm. That sucks. That absolutely, because not only, that, that's like, a, that's a, that's such a, a double whammy situation. You're thinking, we got fish, we're good to go. The fish goes bad, and then your property goes bad with it. Man, my mom had a, had a bad situation coming back from, uh, from vacation where she, she realized her downstairs freezer stopped working. A freezer that was loaded with food. Oh no. And uh, for those who know, a boomer's freezer is. <laughs> <laughs> They're preparing for the Russians. Oh yeah. That's one hey. thing about the boomers. They will go to Costco, get a bunch of frozen stuff in case the Russians attack. <laughs> My mom at one point was a woman with three freezers. <laughs> Like, like, mom, what, what are you doing? And look, she, she is, she got rid of, she got rid of one of them. And then this one got rid of the second, essentially. But my mom, we would always like, mom, whenever my brother and I would be going home, we would say to my mom, like, like, yeah, don't, don't worry about getting food. We'll be fine. Right. We'll, we'll have enough. You have enough. I know you have enough. It'll, it'll be perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that, that freezer, um, it had a, a very, a very unfortunate ending that day and she just got rid of the whole thing. It's like, I'm not gonna clean this out. Why would I do that? RIP the freezer and the basement probably for a while. Yeah, the, it was in the laundry room, fortunately. So um, <laughs> this probably isn't helping her, uh, her Zillow listing because that house is going on sale real soon. Mm -hmm. um, don't worry about it, it's taken care of though. All right, Derek Walden says, I hate the beach and everything about it, but the wife likes it, so we go. <laughs> usually we go to Folly Beach in Charleston. We just take plenty of alcohol and usually sandwich stuff so we can stay all day. Yes, my man, right there. Mm -hmm. I, have an I have to have an umbrella and, uh, <clears throat> and I take the headphones to listen to podcasts while I lay there and nap. The worst person at the beach are the influencers or the ones who think that they're influencers and take photo shoots for 10 to 15 minutes at a time. Oh, and the people uh, that have apparently never seen a flock of seagulls swarm <laughs> food. Another thing the beach tent is great for, keep the seagulls away. Mm -hmm. They're not getting in your space if you're doing that. No horror stories, but my wife is a nurse and someone came running up the beach freaking out, saying their friend had uh, screwed up their arm. Turns out it was a dislocated shoulder, ow. Nurses are never off the clock, apparently. Um, when we were in San Diego last year, there was a couple on the beach that I kid you not, for two hours, all they did was take photos. Mm -hmm. All they did. They would ask a different person to take photos of them, so it wasn't just like their own personal photographer or something, Yeah. but like different poses, and these people were just Instagram, like through and through. Yeah. This woman looked like she was 
from the 90s, but also very European. Okay. So I, and that's a weird way to describe someone, but there was you, like you could like we heard him speak a little bit, and there was like maybe they were visiting San Diego or something. Maybe they hadn't been there for very long or whatever the case. But for the entire two hours we were there, they're just like posing in different, very influencer type ways, and we're all just thinking to ourselves like, are, are more than a hundred people seeing this? Even if it was a hundred thousand people seeing this. <laughs> This is not a worthy use of your time. Have you ever it's seen uh, Influencers in the Wild, the Instagram account? I haven't, but I've heard about yeah, it. Yeah, so it's a must see. It's a, it's a must see. It's really great. You see exactly his view of like the whole scene of like, you know, the sand whipping in the background and like 10 people taking photos. Um, and then he also brings up a very interesting point, you know, which you listen to. Connor, what's your go-to beach song? Oh, um, I don't have one. Somewhere on a Beach by Dirks is great. Mm -hmm. I, uh, Toes in the Sand. I was about to say, band. that's probably my go-to. Any Jimmy Buffett, bro. I would be slamming Jimmy Buffett. That's that's perfectly fine. Yeah, anything that kind of fits the vibe. I, but at the same time, I'm also not like a music at the beach type guy. Okay. I, I am a, a a light dip, maybe maybe a beach walk. See if we can get some seashells or something like that. We're not, we're not sitting there with a bag. <laughs> But, you know, in case there's one that's pretty unique, you never know. It depends on where you're going. Uh, if you're going to, like, Caladesi Island, which that's my go-to vacation beach mm -hmm. down there in Dunedin. Shout out to Dean. Um, but we, uh, yeah, mostly bringing a book, getting deep into Lars Anderson's Dabo book yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, uh, yeah, mostly beach nap, but not, not, not too into the, the music while we're, while we're hanging. Okay. Do you, do you just put on like Spotify or Pandora or something? Yeah, I'll put on, I, I, I read out the vibe exactly as you said. I either go speaker or headphones and just chill out. You know, everybody's like, if it's a very like loud atmosphere, it's like I'm not really adding to this, so I might as well just chip mine into. If it's very chill, you know what I'm saying? That's a different vibe. But yeah, I'll, I'll usually listen to something, even if I'm like reading. <laughs> let's, do, let's do a couple more of these. Uh, Jim Heinzman said, uh, we're at New Smyrna Beach right now, the south end away from quiet, or the way, f the south end away from town, quiet and fantastic. Yes, it is. Love me some New Smyrna. Great place to be. Krista Kissinger says, Florida Panhandle slash Gulf Shores is my go-to. Yep. Favorite beach vacay was actually mullet toss at the Floribama. Uh, imagine a giant SEC tailgate on the beach while people try to throw <laughs> actual fish. What? Then it just leads into the night with lots of live music, more drinks. That sounds like a great time. That's we need to do like an SCS like on the scene thing. I'm surprised me and Marler haven't been to a uh, mullet toss yet. It's a it's a time. Yeah. Describe this to me. Are there people that that practice for this and it's it's a real event? It's a lot of good old boy type vibes. A lot of like uh, okay. country strong type of like Bo Jackson type vibes. A lot of dudes in some cutoffs, some shorts, and really just yeeting these mullets, man. It's it's a fun time. So it's a prerequisite. You got to be from Bessemer. Yeah. That's, so that's Bessemer guys, I'm sure, are up and down the leaderboards. You know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. Good to know. I don't think I'd be very qualified. My, my current frame doesn't really lend itself to this, but I, I like the sound of this. This sounds like a great event. This that's, is that's all time like drinking gets you better at throwing a mullet for sure. Like if you're doing that sober, <laughs> you're, it's like an anti-PED. Why would anybody do that sober? That seems like a weird move. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's probably started with some people like, I bet I can toss this mullet over yonder. And there you go. Now it's a whole day. I'm just picturing people saying to their significant others on a Friday night, they get off work and they're saying, hey, we should probably do some mullet toss prep. <laughs> that would be you. You would be the mullet toss prep guy. You'd be so okay, ready for that guy. mullet toss game day, bro. 
Yeah, we don't mess around. We don't just show up unprepared. <laughs> We're ready to go. Uh, let's go. Let's end with this one from from your boy John here. Um, John uh-huh. says, "Any beach that allows me to sit in a chair, slam a twelve pack of, do you mean Yingling? Yeah, Yingy, bro. Oh, they call it Yingy. Yeah, I didn't know that." Okay, they got, they got a new light beer out that I keep seeing all these commercials for. It looks very different than what they've done in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and John says, and listen to my book, uh, audiobooks, music on my AirPods without being bothered. Uh, worst person is the Maverick wannabe who is just trying to play beach games constantly or getting obnoxiously drunk with their friends. Spikeball, yeah or nah? Uh, again, everything on the beach is vibe dependent. I'm pro. But if there's like a nice little family playing around, probably not. It's gotta be the right place. Right. G- gotta be the right place. If, if you're constantly having people help you out with your spike ball that escapes, right. you're probably in the wrong place. But it looks fun. It's very rare that I see a game like that. I, I, I usually pick up games pretty quickly. Uh, bags, pool, darts, bowling, like whatever it is. I feel like I pick those things up really quickly. That's the one game that, for one, I've never played. I just don't have any friends that like have a spike ball mm-hmm. set up. That's the one game that I see and I think to myself, mm-hmm. that looks really, really hard and I don't think I'd be good. Are you, have you ever played before? That's most games for me, but it doesn't stop me, Connor. <laughs> I'll be loud, horrible at anything equally. That's the best part. Anybody can get this horrible work at any random sport. <laughs> well, I... One day I will be playing some spike ball. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of confidence um, that the situation will present itself because I feel like every single time I go to the beach now, it's there. Somebody has it. Facts. They're, they're playing. Just make a friend. Way. They're like, hey, want to read some Lars Anderson? Here you go. I'll hand you this for 10. <laughs> Swap off. I got next. Is yeah. that how that works? Yeah, right. And they won't tell you no. That's all I'll say. Yeah, spike ball court is just like when you're at the YMCA, mm-hmm. right? Same exact sort of thing. Like, uh, like bring a partner over. Yeah, we got next. So it's got to be two on two. Right. So you can't just be one. You can't just be the odd person out. You got to bring two. I think that's the key. Lauren and I, will we'll, we'll take next. We'll, we'll make some friends doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, reminder, we are back to one show a week up until SEC Media Days. It's going to be all right. You can catch up on some of the past podcasts that we've done. I think we've had a lot of evergreen content the last three months. If you've missed a pod, now's a great time to go kind of catch up on some of the stuff that we've done. Uh, that still is, in my opinion, really relevant. Or go back and listen to, to past figuring outs that you might have missed. Or go back and be one of those people that listens to old predictions from Bold and Brash and make fun of us. You can do that too. I was too. about to say, that's what I do. Yeah, uh, if you're if you're twisted like that, you want to do that. That's perfectly fine as well. We're gonna fit a lot into these episodes moving forward now with just one a week. Um, some of them will be will be two interviews. Might have two interviews for this first one next week. I've got one already lined up with a first time guest, somebody who has been uh, really emerging in the college football landscape lately. And then maybe we're gonna have another. Maybe we're gonna have another. Wait and see about that. If you have not yet, leave us a five star review. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name read on air with figuring out or bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Uh, Enjoy uh, one pot a week. We'll talk soon.